Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you for joining another PropTech Ramble. Uh, today, we are joined by Alex Eds, but before I bring him in, uh, happy World FM Day to all the men and women keeping buildings running and running facilities across the world. Uh, we are streaming today to a new partner of ours, Unisu, uh, so you can get us on Unisu, YouTube, and Simpatico, and again, it will always be available afterwards. Uh, so today's topic is ESG, and this comes off the back of the ESG report that we put out about a week ago, our white paper. Uh, so if you haven't read it already, uh, the team will put it in the chat. You can get it from our website uh, and LinkedIn, so please uh, download it and have a read. Uh, I would now like to introduce Alex Eds, the Director of Innovation at JLL. Uh, Alex, welcome to the Ramble. Thanks for coming and, and having a chat. Hi, yeah. Hi, Mike. Thanks very much for inviting me. Um, yeah, yeah, could you uh, just let everyone, I, I know you've done lots of these and you're quite a famous fella, but could for, for, for those on ours, could you uh, just tell everyone a bit about yourself and who you sure, are? Sure, yeah. Actually, I haven't, this is, I think, maybe my second or third podcast. So, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, my Alex, as you say, um, Director of Innovation at JLL uh, here in London. Um, but I suppose most relevant, um, you know, I guess, why we've spoken and, and why you've invited me on is I used to be a sustainability consultant, um, so it was for many years, um, both at JLL and then um, was also head of sustainability at what is now called Nuveen, um, then headed up sustainability for JLL in the UK and pivoted into a new role um, about six years ago to focus on kind of broadly digital transformation and innovation, um, which obviously has you know, led me into the prop tech world. Um, but still very much to my core is, and my moral compass, if you like, is how do we make um, the built environment better? How do we make it more sustainable? And I think, um, you know, why this is this subject and, and certainly, you know, the opportunity to come talk to you, but I think also, you know, picking up on the general trend in the last probably six, 12 months of tech and, you know, ESG, or, and we'll come on to, I'm sure, talk about what that actually means, but those two worlds kind of coming together uh, which is great for me because they're the kind of two worlds that I, that I spend time in. So, yeah, great to be here. Thank you. And, and actually, it brings us on to the first question that was sent in by by, by someone, and, and we've changed a little bit, but it's what what do we actually mean when we say ESG? Yeah. Well, I'm sure you've got you've got views <laughs> on this as well. I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, really, really important, and, and it's important, I suppose, not just from an intellectual perspective of we need to make sure we you know define this appropriately, but I think um, given the fact that ESG sustainability responsibility it is obviously accelerating massively and I'm great great that it is um, you know in all in all areas particularly um, in business and we're seeing you know heads of ESG and ESG being you know, kind of core principles of, of a lot of business strategy which is great, but fundamentally you've got to then understand well, what is it you're actually talking about when you want to implement. Um, when, especially when you're starting to set targets and you're then looking for, you know, um, I guess data is what it comes down to, to then track, you know, can, can I then say I am doing better or worse against my ESG principles? And I think that's where it becomes necessarily a bit more complicated. And I think if we look specifically at real estate um, and then specifically at commercial real estate, which is very much where I spend you know, most of my time, yeah. you know, I think where we started off, it was very much focused on not only environmental, but actually the carbon energy, um, you know, focus of, of, of the E. Yes. That has, that has grown. And I think um, we're starting to now see, and in fact, we, we were just chatting off, off before um, around, you know, some of the metrics around the S coming in. So particularly around the human component um, and the sort of social component. Um, and how buildings effectively influence and can support us. Um, and then obviously the G being the governance aspect. So um, putting in place the right, the right mechanisms to make, you know, to make the right decisions. So um, it's all of the above and it's, um, and fundamentally, you know, and it, it's one of those things that I struggle with because a sustainable business or a sustainable building is effectively one that stands the test of time because it does everything right. Um, but I think it's, we have to accept that the market has kind of, 
taken that that acronym or that language and applied it into different ways. And I think particularly in the angle of tech, um, buildings and tech, it's got very sort of focused on carbon energy um, and particularly around recent um, goals being set, for example, around net zero, which is getting yeah. great um, and absolutely exactly what we need to be doing. Um, but it is just one component of that kind of ESG goal. So I think, you know, my, you know, do we need to go into the detail and do we need to intellectualize it and criticize people for not getting it right? No, but I think it's just important that when it comes to talking about and ultimately disclosing performance or progress around what you're doing, just need to be clear and specific about well, what, what actually are you doing? Um, and then ultimately then that allows you to find the right tools to do that. Yeah, I, I think the, the other side of it is, and this is another kind of shorter question, but it's, it's, a, it's you need some data, right? You can't just guess ESG. And there's there's more and more data available in buildings. So from your, with your JLL hat on and given what you do, what, what data do you think for you, and if, like, if you put sustainability in there, what data is relevant for, from an ESG perspective? I mean, it's massive, right? And I think, um, I mean, you guys are in this game, so um, you'll know. And again, this is where I think it's important to break it down because otherwise you're in danger of trying to boil the ocean um, yeah. and, you know, it, trying to sort of cover off every single data metric that you need to, to demonstrate performance against ESG. You know, you'll tie, you'll tie yourself in knots if you're starting from yeah. scratch. Yeah. So I think, um, firstly, it's important to, to focus on, you know, core and, and maybe a timeline or a horizon plan. You know, this is what we want to focus on now, short term, medium term, etc. Clearly, as I say, you know, uh, an absolute obvious place to start or an obvious place to at least to, to make an impact is around the energy and carbon associated buildings and that's certainly where a lot of focus has been put the challenge we have in the market and, and you know the complexity around the data point is such that at the moment it's quite siloed so you've got a lot of point solutions or a lot of services solutions in the market that are seeking to you know capture the data let's say energy data so kilowatt hours or whatever from from the procurement or the or the you know the meter, and then putting that into a data set and saying right okay how do we reduce this? But then you think okay well how do I how do I know if that's good or bad? What denominator do I need to perform you know to put that against? Okay well I need real estate data so I need square footage or I need occupancy yeah. and even that is unclear. You know what do I need? What's the most what's the most fair way of of, of deciding performance? Well that data sits somewhere else. Okay well once I've got that is that enough? Well then that's when you can start to grow the data sets and then thinking about things like air quality, which obviously yep. is a new area of, of both, I guess, the E and the S, um, but it's still fairly evolving. There's not, you know, not a lot of buildings have that, that data available. So again, that's the problem from a, from a real estate portfolio perspective is, well, what do I have that's available everywhere so that I can then start to compare? So again, you know, like I said at the upshot, it, it, it doesn't need to be complex, but unfortunately, if you're going to start setting targets and track performance against it and fundamentally know am i getting work better am i getting worse and where do i need to spend time and effort you do need to delve into that to that detail um and that's where you know again you need a good strategy and you really need to understand okay well, what am i seeking to drive and then let's go and find the really key data points that are absolutely crucial to make that happen yeah. um and it's not always going to be in the one it's not going to be in the silo or it's not going to be in the vertical the only the vertical that you know, the sustainability pillar or, or it's not going to be in the just the property management pillar or whatever however you segment your business and i think that's where to be fair and i'm sort of taking this slightly outside of just the esg thing but i think in terms of tech digital transformation generally and where we are as an industry it seems that data everyone's talking about data but i think really understanding how do you get your data flow to across your business and through your value chain such that any one of you you know if i'm the owner if i'm the occupier if i'm the property manager i can access what i need to access in order to make informed decisions and i think you can apply that to any area of of, of real estate decision making but certainly to to esg yeah it's it's an interesting one i'm talking to a, a new customer of ours uh looking at esg they started off with energy because in, in the US and Canada that you get you get tax credits for, for doing energy but if you you do you do have to start with a list right and you have to prioritize because as you say that's something I say a lot you otherwise you're trying to boil the ocean you, it, that, that that's hard to do 
if you've already got data, maybe that's your starting point. But trying to yeah. pick off what the E is, what the S is, and the G, the G's, G's a little bit harder because that does come back to a corporate level as well and how the company's physically governed and how the directors act yeah. and how the company acts and supply chain. But the E and the S, it is, it, I mean, there's, there's data already in all these buildings, but as you say, it, it's sometimes it's siloed. Sometimes only the, the FM people have access to it. Who you know, FM day to day, they're the only people with access, so they're kind of the gatekeeper. Yeah. It, and different people need that data now for for the ESG side. You know, and as you say, it, that there's there's titles of ESG, you know, being created in, in lots of businesses. Your your business is something we'll probably talk about offline. But you you know, Guy Granger moving from CEO of of EMEA to the head of ESG. That I didn't see that coming, but again roles coming out of the roles coming out that need to be filled because esg is such such a big topic so yeah i yeah. think picking picking a starting point not trying to do everything all at once is probably one of the most important things in this because it is a hot topic it is a big topic and and i'm sure just like there are iot consultants coming out of areas now after a few years of iot being thrown around there'll be esg consultants everywhere in the market soon telling you which way is best to to do your own esg strategy so well, I used to be one. <laughs> yes. Um, I mean, that's kind of how I came into real estate. You know, we, uh, we, I joined a consultancy, uh, which probably was the first, probably going to on record saying it was one of the first sustainability consultancies in real estate. And that was, you know, was dedicated to real estate, which was the quite unusual bit. Um, and it was acquired by JLL. Um, and that's, you know, that team still exists and is, is still functioning. So, but I think, you know, everything you said is, is absolutely bang on. I think one thing I would just caveat, it's not really a caveat, but I think it's it's a consideration is, and again, depending on you know, who's listening and what, what lens you're looking at this through, um, you know, clearly when you think about, again, the real estate market and the kind of flow of money fundamentally, which is, you know, what drives it all, yep. you know, the money's coming in and increasingly those asset owners or asset allocation, you know, management firms are looking at ESG more at a kind of principles basis and looking heavily at the G. So, you know, how, how are you governed? You know, how are you, how are you, um, you know, how are you managing your business? And that has started to flow a kind of focus. And, you know, certainly when I was um, heading up sustainability for Nuvi, you know, GRESP, which is a, you know, yeah. a, a core kind of part of that, of that yes. reporting component in all, in order to satisfy effectively your investors, you know, that, that kind of inevitably then starts to focus the, you know, the attention of then you and the supply chain. Now, whether that's the right data is a separate question, but it does, it absolutely focuses the mind to say, well, okay, my investor now wants this and that's how I'm going to attract money. I therefore need to do this, right? What do I need from my supply chain? And then what do they need from their supply chain? And it ultimately it's against data. It's just, how do we get that flow of data moving through both moving through the, the, the value chain? I think not necessarily what's changed, but I think what's evolved, and I think what we're seeing now is the recognition, A, the, the recognition of the market driver of ESG, and particularly the E, um, and you know, probably talking about mature markets here, where you know the tenants, big corporates, are now looking at, at the E, particularly when taking new space or looking at, at you know at new buildings, and therefore asset managers, property managers. Um, and everyone involved in bringing those buildings to bear have to have their finger on the pulse as to or well, how environmentally friendly is this building. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, and I know we've had EPCs and Briam for a while. And, um, you know, we've recently had the introduction of Neighbours, which is the Australian scheme into the UK, thankfully, finally, where it's actually, you know, in use performance. So it gives people who are making tactical decisions rather than strategic decisions, per my point before, greater visibility but then also greater need to make sure that those that what they're delivering ultimately is 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 hitting the mark so i think we've kind of shifted gear in terms of the data that's available and it's still becoming more available to enable those more tactical decisions as opposed to purely kind of strategic governance decisions yeah i, I agree and, and it's an interesting one the environmental one is is people choose so Algim Legal and General Investment Management, they've decided to go with indoor air quality as their first pass, right? To not not only to attract new tenants, but to show current tenants that they have good indoor air quality. It is the it is the E and the S. Uh and and so yeah, you pick pick your starting point, go on your journey. But yeah. it, 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 but also, and then to that point exactly, what's the most valuable thing, right? What's what's yeah. gonna what's the most important thing? 
and I, you know, and I, and I get where we've got data. Let's use it. That's sometimes dangerous because it might not be valuable. <laughs> yeah. I think your point there is bang on, right? Is because at the moment, particularly, people walking into buildings are conscious about the air that they're breathing. So, yes. you know, if I'm providing a product in the market and I want people to use that product, I want to make people feel safe and comfortable that they're using my product. So, smart, and it, and it, and it comes to the point of what's valuable. And what actually is going to move the needle for us as an organization. And I think, you know, probably smartly they've picked air quality because I think it's a key one. So, yeah, absolutely. Someone's just asked if we can pop down neighbors. It's it's N-A. <laughs> yeah, that's the TV show. It's not the TV show. And being an Aussie, I'm, I'm not particularly proud of it, but it's N-A-B-E-A-R-S, is it? N-A-B-E-A-R-S. I think that's it. N-A-B. I could be spelling this wrong. Charlotte or someone else who's listening will hopefully do this Google search and put it in. Otherwise, I'm going to do it wrong. So, Kate, we'll get it in there for you. Uh, so it, here's an interesting one. So whose who's responsibility is it to innovate to deliver sustainable innovation? Yeah, okay. So this is this is the elephant in the room, right? This is the easy <laughs> bit. And, you know, in a way, this is kind of explains my career journey because, you know, I did sustainability for 10 years. And then pivoted maybe into a new role and took on a you know new, a slightly new role, um, and I did that because and and, it, and sort of the catalyst for me wanting to do that was um, you know being quite open and frank was doing sustainability consulting for ten years in real estate. It became a bit tick boxy. It was you know have we performed well here? Tick box yes, right done, move on. Yeah, and you know faced with the pressures that we're faced with which we don't need to go into, I'm sure everybody knows, you know, in terms of environmentally particularly, I just didn't feel that we were making as much progress as we should have. Now, stand back 10 years, maybe, yes, we have moved forward. But for me personally, I was like, how do we make more of an impact? And also, and this was around 2015-ish, where I was seeing a lot of good products come onto the market, a lot of them technology-driven, but not only, that were offering up great solutions, and they couldn't get they couldn't get penetration. They were really struggling to scale within the commercial real estate the sector for all the reasons that again we don't need to go into but the complexities of procurement particularly. And so that was kind of the really I guess the reasoning behind me thinking, Do you know what? We really need to accelerate good solutions into the market. Um, and what and, you know JLL is is ideally positioned to do that um, because we're at the sort of you know the, the sort of um, I guess the inflection point of, of decision making with a lot of our clients. Have we have we succeeded? Are we as an industry um, succeeding in that? I'd probably still say no. I mean, I think what's happened is there's been an influx of money from predominantly the VC community, which has fueled those solutions. Now there's just more noise coming at the market. Is the market more informed and more aware and a smarter kind of procurer? I don't think so. And I think to your point, um, and this is where it gets a bit, it, it does become a bit tricky. And again, it depends on who you are and what and what, what lens you're looking at it from, whether, you know, whether you're a developer, whether you're the occupier, you know, big corporate and, you, and you're an occupier of a lot of space, are you a property manager, are you an FM provider, um, or are you a you know, solution? in the market so it kind of depends on where you are and then there's the whole kind of construction um supply chain as well what it, what i think though is that when you look at kind of r d or innovation two words that are not synonymous with with real estate um like whose responsibility is it to fun fundamentally say well we've, we want to achieve this and and we're not getting that product or we're not getting that through them through the value chain how do we make that happen um and I think that ultimately it's everybody's responsibility, but I think that collaboration is a word again you don't hear it too often. Yeah, which is which we need to we need to have more collaboration between the value chain to say, well, look, I want to achieve this, and you know, in the instance of let's say the commercial, the commercial market is it, you know, is it the the ultimate owner? I've set a net zero carbon. I want to achieve this. You know, there's no point just banging your FM guy over the head and saying, well, aren't you delivering it? Or as is the case quite often, look, I've bought a bit of kit, stick it into my building, and why is it not performing? Because there's no alignment. 
there's no like incentive there's no alignment with the value chain and i think that also kind of who's making the most margin out of that value chain yeah, yeah. You know, it, it isn't the fm guy or girl so i think um that's where you know i do say and you know probably if we speak again in five years i would hope maybe before that there will be more kind of formalized r d functions where you're bringing real life um you know client or, or you know industry challenges into a mechanism where you can actually find solutions quickly but but importantly get them to customers quickly because i think that's part of the problem there's a lot of solutions great but do yeah. they have revenue i mean you'll know this because you're in you're in the game right how how long it takes how difficult it is to get a new client to test it to scale it to then say well oh, let's go beyond one building and put it in all 50 buildings let's say yes it's painful um it's, it's a long process it is yeah. a long process and, and like you say the, the industry that we're in uh, and we're, we're 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 in commercial buildings and lots of other different types of buildings but if we stay where you you guys play commercial buildings it is typically people take a long time to make decisions i wouldn't like i, I don't want to say they like to procrastinate but they 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 do like to take their time and and i i, I agree with you it's it's everyone's responsibility to try and do this. And I know from some of our customers saying, well, I expect JLL or CBRE or ISX or Sodexo to come and bring this to me now because we need to move with the times. Yeah. You're right. Then there needs to be more collaboration than ever before. You can't just say, you know, bring it to me when it's done or when it's finished that, you know, yeah. this, this is for, this is, this is a goal for everyone, right? It's, exactly. you know, if, exactly. I, if I get very philosophical for a second, it's about the planet and our next generations of, of people and humans and kids and everyone else. But yeah, people that people have got to start to work together and, you know, work towards the same goals. And everyone needs to make money because everyone needs to, you know, make profit to keep their business going, pay their staff and pay their mortgage and bills and have a beer and whatever else. But it, it, it more and more people need to need to collaborate on this because otherwise, yeah. otherwise, you'll, otherwise it will just be a, you know, go with them or go with them or you know whoever's paying you the most money to promise you the best you know delivery but you know trying to squeeze the most out of you and you know make the most margin it's it's a tricky one but i, I agree with you everyone needs to do it really i don't yeah, think but it's i mean and again one thing that again we're not great at in the industry is just to look outside the window right every other industry pretty much does this um maybe with a few exceptions but you know r d innovation you know there's, there's some great stats around how little we innovate or you know how much the budgets of R&D within real estate compared to other sectors i mean it's it's minuscule yeah and and okay you know define innovation define R&D i appreciate that is tricky but the the fact that there's very little formality around it uh, you know is it a, is it a person's role are there actually R&D labs are there actually you know vehicles and facilities for you know to go which have a clear route now i know you know accelerators and incubators exist but they tend to be you know invest from vc's angle you know, get a company up, right, grow, then just go to market yeah. and, and, and you know, into the world and like, how do I sell this? There's no clear route to revenue. There's no clear route to the market. And I think what's missing is a client at the end of it saying, oh, look, I've got a building here or I've got 15 buildings. I want to I go from 100 to 10 um, and I need energy optimization kit and I need it in the next three years, right, bang. And that, that sort of process and that's, that removing some of the friction in the process, I think will just accelerate um, accelerate things so much more quickly, which ultimately we all want to do, and we'll all make money out of it. So it shouldn't be there. Shouldn't be a risk of not. Yeah, yeah. it's a bit of a bugbear of mine, as you can probably. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Eddie Holmes from Unisu said, "Would you agree that the answer to procurement problems is by hiring the right people with the right authority to oversee these processes?" Yeah, I mean, I think look, it's, it's it's a big industry. There's there's you know, lots of companies. Some of them very mature, some of them less so, some of them more sophisticated, some of them not so. I mean, we're seeing, you know, increasing numbers of heads of innovation or, you know, new roles, digital roles, sustainability roles. So it is changing and it's difficult to kind of cast a brush. But what I would say, and it probably comes back to the point before, is there is still, I would say, probably the status quo for most is um, the way that decision making is done is not done based on data let's say when it's not done based on um i guess um yeah it's not done perhaps based based using metrics that um are available but are just unproven or unknown and yeah. i think there's a there's a gap between well i did this before i've always done this or this is how i was trained to do it 
which is understandable completely, and therefore I'm going to do it the same way. And I think also, and we can't ignore, particularly again, the commercial institutionalized, you know, real estate stock, you know, it's very risk averse for very good reason. It's most of yeah. where your pensions are. <laughs> so, you know, to say, well, I'm going to go and, you know, spank a load of money on something which is untested is clearly not appropriate. But there are mechanisms by which you can do it. Um, and I think that is where there is a lack of skill and a lack of knowledge is how do we bridge? I mean, you know, and I think, and again, stepping back a bit from the role I've been doing for six years and even sustainability before that, I mean, you know, when I started out, there were no heads of sustainability. There were no, you know, definitely weren't heads of innovation. And, you know, VC was not a word that real estate understood. So where we are now is massively, you know, massively different. But I do think there's still a massive gap between you've got the VCs predominantly fueling tech, you've got tech bubbling up all over the place with great ideas fueled by a lot of other sectors that are giving the, you know, the, the, the computing or, or intellectual kind of power to create really impressive solutions. There is a gap between that and then the product or the thing that needs improving, you know, i.e. the asset, and someone being able to say, that's the right solution for this problem. That, I think there's a big gap. Um, and it, it is closing, but it's, it needs to close quicker. Yeah, and, and I think to kind of try and cover off Eddie's questions, we've got quite a few coming in, which is good. I'm going to have to scroll back up on my screen or else I'm going to lose the ones that we haven't even answered yet. Is you know, Eddie, Eddie also says, you know, who in RE has any idea to procure anything other than a, than a few contractors? And I think, I, I think so I come from a, a networking telco software operations background where people would fast fail things to see how it went, you know, dip your toe in the water to try and find a solution and fast fail it. I don't think that happens a lot in this industry. I know, I know, you know, JLL have JLL Tech to try and address this, but I, I don't think things are done in a contained way to try and fast fail a solution or, or to test something. And if it doesn't work, fast fail it. If it does work, great. Let's take it further and take it to market, test it with some customers. Yeah. I think I think the, the commercial real estate industry do, needs needs to do more of that. I think a company that, that we've seen do that is legal in general, uh, Elgin. So there's a guy there called Mark Tyson, very different type of thinker, wants to take things forward, wants to really change the industry, wants to do something with their buildings and is pushing everyone in the supply chain to try and help them achieve their goals, but is helping them along at the same time. He's not just wielding a big stick and saying, go and do it or else I'll replace yeah. someone else. It's This is Elgin's strategy. Everyone working with us, we all need to try and get there together. Yeah. It's, you know, more, more of that needs to happen, I think, fast. Yeah, and I, I know Mark and I applaud him absolutely because I think it's, you know, fresh pair of eyes, fresh thinking and, and being given the authority. And I think, you know, maybe that's to Eddie's point, And I think certainly is, is, is coming, but I think it's still lacking is individuals that have a different way of doing things, being given the remit and the power to actually yeah. do it. I think, I mean, you can stand back and uh, think about maybe some of the other disruptions that are coming into the market, which I think will almost force some of this change. Yeah. You know, we can't forget that, you know, for 100 years or more, our industry has been build it and they will come. Um, yeah. That has allowed people a certain amount of comfort. I think going forward that those days are gone um, in large, in large respect. Um, what that means is the product becomes a more discernible product. Um, and therefore, it has to be more desirable. I think sustainability will play a key part in that. So if you want your product to be more desirable, you have to, you will be forced to innovate more quickly and, and, and in a more agile way. Now, how you do that with the current supply chain that you have is currently tricky. But I think there are innovations available. And I think we have to, as an industry, take a massive step forward to think about, OK, well, how can I deliver a product that my corporate tenant tells me they want now, but in three years they might want something different. You know, do I stand back and go, well, that's impossible, I'm not giving it to you? Yeah. Well, you have to find a solution because someone will find a solution. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I think, you know, and again, this is slightly off, off sustainability, but I think, you know, almost like a two tier market will appear where there will be those that say, do you know what? I'll just own the land. You crack on. I don't want to involve myself in the operations side of it. And there are those that, that will provide the end product. And I think we've kind of started to see that within the flex office space. And I think that will appear more widely um, in the whole kind of real estate space, because fundamentally it's all about, you know, the market and what that desires. So, yeah, and I think innovation has to, we just have to innovate more quickly. Um, and they're going to have to be some disruptions to the current status quo to make that happen. And look, we're part of it, right? I mean, you know, JLL is, 
a big beast. We, you know, we provide property management to a lot of to a lot of clients, and they are coming to us regularly saying, you know, we want more innovation. How do we innovate more? We want a different way of doing things. And you know, it, it's hard to move, you know, such a big beast with all the in, entrenched sort of supply chains that we have to move that quickly. Um, yeah. But we are, and we're having to, and we're, and we're, you know, we're trying to trying to we're trying to stay at pace with it. So, um, big challenge for the industry, massive. Yeah, yeah, big, and, and like you say, big beast. CBRE is the same, right? Got the same challenge. Massive companies trying to trying to move. I'm very fortunate to speak to Guy Granger a few years ago at a dinner, and that he pretty much said what you've just said. Now we, we have to try and do it because our customers are asking for it. And if we don't, some someone else will. Uh, we've got a we've exactly. got quite a few questions coming in. Uh, Richard uh, Sansom said, "What is what is your opinion on this? Hi, this is one for you, mate. This is way over my head. What is what is your opinion on internal carbon levies in development appraisals as?" To the way uh, as a way to influence influence environmental decision making. That's all yours, that one, mate. Cheers, Richard. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> former former colleague, Richard. Um, this probably, I mean, it kind of ties slightly in. I know you, you, you wanted to cover off um, uh, the new regulation that's come in, in into the US around sort of carbon budgets. Yeah. So, um, yeah the, well, there's the, the the very last question is that local law ninety seven is and, and how it will impact. Uh, how prop tech will it be about, and how it will impact prop tech and real estate is is kind of the very last question. So this kind of comes into that. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's not exactly the same, but it sort of touches on it. I, I mean, I, don't, I, I mean, I, a, I don't know a huge amount of detail about that new law in the US. But suffice to say, regulation to try and put carbon caps on buildings and then use that cap a bit like this for the anyone that knows the CRC that came and went was a sort of idea we'll, we'll, we'll apply apply a cap and then we'll just you know reduce that cap over time and that forces the market um and i suppose you know what rich is saying is is in a kind of similar way as if you apply a certain kind of levy which is slightly different because you're effectively applying a charge to it um you know will that will that invoke change fundamentally it comes down to does regulation work and how do you and do you penalize or hit people over the head with carbon or other you know tools versus let the market decide yeah it's, it's a difficult one and i think um i mean my, my view on it is well thought through and well articulated regulation can work and i think you know building regs is a great example of you know we help move the needle in terms of the quality of, of buildings um epc is probably slightly slightly a bit more of a blunt instrument but have certainly helped you know, move, move, the, move the market. I think, and you know, we mentioned neighbours before. I mean, it's not, it's not law, it's not regulation, but you can kind of see an instrument like that being used to sort of drive, drive regulation. I think that's where it comes down to. It needs to be really well thought through and consulted with the industry because it's the type of thing that can can result in a huge amount of unintended consequences and gamifying it. Which, when you think about the complexities of Real estate ownership, lease structures, who pays for what, who gets the benefit. If you bring in a fairly blunt instrument and say, I want a levy on something or I want a cap on something, who's actually going to be penalized for that? And is it the person that's ultimately the one that you're trying to change behaviors? So it is a, it's a difficult one. And I think it needs, as I say, locally, you know, almost local or at least national kind of consultation. And, and it needs to be thought through carefully. What I would say as well is, and again, I sort of think about where we are right now and, and and especially during you know i think covid has accelerated it but some of the trends that we were seeing before covid which certainly accelerated things like sustainability wellness and you know we talked about air quality as being part of that you know they've really risen up the agenda with with and you know particularly with, let's say the office market corporates really focusing on that as core kind of strategic principles for lots of reasons which you don't need to go into but that has moved the needle more i would suggest and quicker than regulation would yeah. so you know ha happy to be challenged on that but i think that you know the speed at which the product owners the product developers have had to respond to oh you're right okay suddenly the customer is asking and, and really wants this and is willing to pay for it we really need to innovate our product yeah. so it's a bit of both in my view i think you know well thought through um regulation can work i thought the crc was a bit of a complex nightmare um for those of you that know it i think there could have been just a levy which would have been easier um so there are things that you can do but i you know i guess it's probably the get out is to say it needs to be incredibly well thought through um, to ensure it doesn't invoke um unintended consequences i don't know if that's a good enough answer 
no, no, no. I, I think it's fine, mate. Uh, I think, but um, Brano Glumac said, can you give an example of S in ESG property strategy? I think, I think an easy one for social is, is you know, there's is is environmental. Well, it's not. It is an environmental thing, but it's a social thing. It's about the people in the building. Is is indoor air quality and doing something about that. You have a social responsibility to people in the building. Uh, there is there. The, the, there was a PAS written that has now become a British standard. So it was PAS 3003. It's coming out in July, August. It's going to be British standard 40101. And it's about monitoring uh, indoor air quality in commercial buildings. So that's an easy one. Everyone's going to need to do it. There are people at the moment, you and I talked about this off air prior to coming on. There are some people suing their employers for providing bad indoor air quality and, and you know saying that they've become... You know, itchy eyes, itchy throat, colds, coughs. You know, don't don't find it's a healthy place to work. Uh, so the the S is probably one of the easier ones to cover off. I think. Well, I, I mean, you're absolutely right. That is that is a key one, and I think is one that's grown, um, you know, exponentially recently. And I think as we go, as people are, and you're already in the office, as people start going back to the office, um, you know, understanding the quality of the space and what that means for me as an individual. And I think you know, as you know. We can talk about it, but you know, as wearables become you know more ubiquitous and, and affordable, we'll have much more information about our own you know the quality of the air that we breathe, but also our own you know our own health. I think that will be a big part of it. And then, what's the responsibility of the real estate versus my employer, which then becomes an interesting conversation about leases and and what needs to pass back forward and, and, and part of the design standard. So I think that is that is that is key, and I think that will be a key one. And I think particularly driven by the transparency of the metric on the of the data, fundamentally, the user being having access to our oh crap. The data is really, you know, the, the air quality is really poor here versus much better over there. Yeah, that will change people's behaviours. Yes, but I think the answer to the you know broader answer to the question, um, and it's important because this is where sustainability. You know, this is where it really it kind of covers everything. Is that then you the sort of broader definition of S is then going into okay, well, what's the social value of the building that I've created, and I've, am I creating employment? Am I creating an, a positive impact on the local environment? Uh, sorry, on the local community? Am I giving back to that local community? Am I displacing displacing people from building this development? Where are the materials coming from that I'm building this building out of? Have they come from a, a legally mined, you know, mine in in Indonesia? So social value and sort of societal impacts of a property company are much bigger than just as an employee i walk in the door and have an experience yeah, yeah I agree. and there are some yeah. there are some landlords that are really starting to take this more seriously and try to understand the value that they bring to the environment sorry to the local environment and the local community um it's a bit of a difficult science um as you can quite imagine in terms of the complexities around capturing that data uh, but that's where big focus of the S is at in terms of um, in terms of the ESG. And like we said at the very beginning, right, having a head of ESG to do all the environmental stuff, all of that stuff that I've just mentioned, and all the G, that's a big job. Um, and to do it yeah. well and to do it properly is is a big job. And it, and it touches so many pillars of a business. It does. It, it comes on. There is another question from from uh, Balaz, but I'll, I'll I'll throw in Anthony Slumber's one here because it follows on from exactly what you've just said. Is is who sets who sets the vision defines the desired output and is answerable for the delivery of these outputs. And if they exist, do they have the clout to procure for this absolute vision? I mean, you're you're right. It's so I spoke to Blackstone a while ago, and they just hired a head of ESG. I think it was two months ago now, maybe three months ago, uh, and there was a whole team there wasn't just one person right because it is so yeah. big but you know answer, answer Anthony's question yeah, there, but, I mean yeah. I, well I think um look this is a journey right and I think you know when I was head of sustainability um at, at, at what was it's now called Nuveen and also at, at, at JLL you know I wasn't on the board I reported into the board yeah um I had a budget. I had a small team, and and we got it. We went about did our stuff. I would suggest that's probably the majority of cases still. It's quite siloed. It's kind of a separate team focused on you know these things, but from a sort of separate perspective, um, where it needs to get to, and I think where some of the leading companies, probably not so many in real estate, um, thinking of a company like you know Unilever 
or for example, where ESG is kind of principled into their business and yeah. everyone around that table makes decisions based on the metrics associated with ESG and the financial performance of the business. Only when you get to that stage can you properly make informed decisions where ES and G are kind of built into the decision making of your business. So I think that's the first thing. We are still quite young in our evolution of, of ESG being sort of foundational and, and, and being part of the business decision making. However, I think Anthony's question has another dimension, which is in real estate generally, the people that are building the product, are they the ones that are then using the product and, and have they got any kind of feedback mechanism once they've sold the product and moved on to the next product? The answer is in most part, no. Um, and that's where I think the fragmentation of, this, of the value chain means that there's very little recourse to, to sort of you know, it's not as if you're you're getting a product back that you then have to kind of put back to market. I mean, that does happen, and, and probably you know the landed estates are good examples of where they have that pressure. Um, I think corporate occupier owners are, are where you probably see most innovation in the building because they know that they're the, that's the building they're going to have to use. So that's yeah. where they, you see most innovation being spent. But I think as sort of spec developers, what pressure they have because they you know they might not get they probably won't get that building back, particularly as many of them might sell it in five to seven years. So I think. The way that the market is set up and the mechanism that it's set up, it, it, it's not an incentive for that, and not least the fragmentation of the of the supply chain. But my point before, which I know Anthony will know all too well, is when you apply the you know, the wider disruption of the customer expecting something new, will we see a fragmentation of the operating model, and such that you know, those that are actually providing the product are different to those that let's say, build the product or own the product or, or own yeah. the land. Um, and at the moment, a lot of that's sort of squished into the same into the same business. So look, I think it's, yeah, the next five, 10 years can be really interesting to see who kind of wins and loses in this space. Um, we're slightly getting off topic from ESG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, but to answer uh, Bellas, we haven't even got through our other questions yet. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so, long, so long as you're okay to keep going, I, I've, I've, I've got a hard stop at five o'clock. I may have somebody like to come. About this stuff. <laughs> uh, Bellas uh, Zapinos says, Alex, if you were the owner of a traditional dumb building uh, portfolio with zero digital procedures and you could implement three innovations, which would you choose to get uh, the most impact? That's a that's a big open ended question. That one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I'm conscious that this is an ESG podcast, so um, and certainly let's, one let's or two. Around, let's let's think ESG then. Don't don't answer yeah, anything I mean, else. You could, you could get into many things about technology, right? So if we'll we'll, we'll keep yeah. it to ESG. So it's dumb, and you although, need to ESG it up. Yeah. Although I think actually, and this is probably quite a smart way of of combining what I was going to say with with keeping it to ESG, which ties onto the point you mentioned about LNG. Is because I was going to say customer, right? I think at the end of the day, it's all about customer. You, you've got to focus on what they want and what they need, um, and how they're going to use your building. What what do customers want? And at the moment, a big concern for what they want is is the place that I'm going into safe, secure, and healthy. Yeah. Which is obviously what LNG have have realised and why they've why they've rolled it out rolled out aerated. I think you know that's a good example where figuring out what what does the customer want and what are they going to be making decisions based on given the fact that they don't have to come here every day and they can go somewhere else. Yeah. So they're going to be making decisions about whether they come into this space or not. So what is most important to them? And one of the things at the top of that list is at the moment air quality. And I would suggest it's probably going to be for a while. Yeah. So I think understanding the customer, the customer in a piece is, is, is vital. And I think, you know, it's probably to that point air quality or at least some form of kind of metric around quality of space. Um, would be something that I would look to not only capture for me, and if I was the building owner, I'd want to know it, but increasingly, and I think this is where it comes to the point of transparency, is your customer, your user is going to want to know that as well. Yeah. Um, and actually, I think um, quite a lot, and you kind of mentioned it earlier, what data do you already have? As much as it might be a dumb building, you'll be surprised how much data is available with very little um, you know, technology infrastructure put in to allow you to start to extract some quite meaningful insights around how you're operating the building. And again, probably to the answer to the, other, the sort of second point is, how efficient am, am I currently running this building at? Um, and as I say, there are some fairly simple um, technology solutions out there. I won't mention any names given present company, but <laughs> the, you know, the, the, the provide you with that kind of insight 
which it can be quite dumb. It doesn't have to be half hourly. It doesn't have to be minute by minute that will allow you to start to make some pretty smart decisions about operation. And then I think, um, and, and I guess probably just building on that, it's about, um, and you know, I think it's funny, there's a lot of chat around digital twins and, you know, sort of super yeah. sophisticated integrations and getting, you know, living, dancing, you know, virtual buildings. The reality is, have you got data, have you got dashboards that are telling you what's going on in your building? And have you, and more importantly, have you got people looking at that who are then making decisions about it? Yeah. And that to me is the most important thing rather than having and investing in, you know, super snazzy, um, you know, all singing, all dancing um, systems. Have you got, what data do you need based on the point before? Right, go and get that data um, and then have people make decisions based on it. And I think, you know, fundamentally, if you start there, then you can build the data sets out from that. Um, and then you start to collaborate, engage with your customers, engage with your tenants, and you can build from there. But yeah, for me, that's where I would start. Yeah. And it's quite an easy win, as I'm sure you know. It, it is. And, and I agree with you. Lots of people, you know, I was on a call the other day where some consultants were working for the customer and, and their, I would call it a wish list, was very long. But actually, the relevance of it to, if I keep it on ESG, I think there was one ESG piece in there. The rest was, you know, we want, be able to, we want people to be able to turn the lights on and off and bring the air conditioning up and down themselves and walk in and have a smart bike locker and a smart this and a smart that. That's you know i know i know we're we're almost in, in danger of going all about the people coming into the building and what 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 we think they want because end user tenant experience apps integrating with lots of different solutions yes they're great but how, i mean if you're an old boy like me I, i'm going into the building i want to know i'm comfortable in the building i'm going to go in there and do my work i don't need to interact with many different things are the lights on great i can see what i'm doing is, is it comfortable <laughs> like yes i'm good i don't need to to that's all you want to know <laughs> <laughs> i think i think um i mean i would kind of agree with that i think you know at the end of the day the customer is changing right and, and we need to remember the, 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 the demo, demography of, of our of our user base is changing However, I would agree, and you know, certainly I've been involved in a number of meetings where you know, developer or you know, the owner is like, right, here's the list of stuff that we want. We've we've decided this is the experience that we want based on the fact that I've travelled around the world and visited three smart buildings. That's what I've decided I want. All right, who who's going to be letting this this building? Oh, X, Y, and Z. Have you spoken to them? No, we haven't. Or I don't even know who's going to be let, letting this building, which is often the case. So that's where, and you know, I know you know this and. I think start small. Start with stuff that you need, that yep. you will know that you need to, to drive performance for you as the developer, as the investor, whatever. Then build a building that allow and build an architect the system such that when your tenant or property, when you appoint your property manager, what systems do they use? Because there's no point building a system that doesn't integrate with their system. What system do they use? Right, how do we find something that aligns with both? Can we set performance metrics that allow you to pull data from the building to inform that right mr tenant what do you want how do i yeah. that's the way it needs to work and it's just again it comes back to collaboration but i think also you know integration 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 which is i'm sure your language yeah yeah you know, don't just go and buy lots of point solutions for cycle rack cycle storage and yeah, yeah, showers yeah. and yeah. whatever 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 if none of them talk to each other because yeah. that will just annoy everybody you, you know start from the key principles that you need and the, the most valuable things and start there and then just build and it doesn't have to all be done on day one yeah agreed uh so i think we've covered the the, the next one off we, we've already talked about it we were talking it says uh how do we how do we motivate and align the supply chain i, I think we've already covered that off right it, it, it is collaboration uh is 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 the main way to do this now you can't you, you're not going to be able to do it any other way and and you know you've already said start small pick a place so i, th I think we've already answered that question we can move on to the next one uh, yeah. <laughs> machine, <laughs> machine learning and AI from preventative uh, to react. So sorry, pro from preventative to reactive to proactive automated FM. So this is this is kind of a, a, a and this is all around ESG, right? So this is so you love talking about this stuff as much as I do. So we're at fear of going off track and off piste here, but. AI machine learning, I don't personally think there's enough data in any building or coming out of any building yet that anyone's collating and smashing together to, yeah. to help with ESG. We need a lot more data and not a lot more time, not four or five years, but you you need a much bigger data set, I think. 
you know, from the start. Yeah. So you, to, I help, think, to help with ESG. Yeah. And I think, uh, so maybe just to, to, to elaborate on the question in terms of where we are now is predominantly preventative. When I talk, you know, talk about, you know, facilities management or, you know, let's say the operations of the building and particularly in terms of, let's say, energy consumption of how much, it, you know, how much energy it consumes to, to run the kit. A lot of the ways that buildings are run is preventative. So, you know, we sign a contract with with X provider. They 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 tell me what they need to do over the next five years, and they plan a bunch of stuff. Yep. Ridiculous, you know, way of doing things. Um, but that's the way it was done, and, and and in large part still done. Moving to reactive, where the data is then telling you something's broken. Right. How do I fix it? Um, and that being done more and more responsibly. And I think there's still an analog element of that, and that can be digitized and made quicker and made smarter. And I think that's probably where most smart building kind of smart enterprise smart fm stuff is focused where the future is and this is where kind of everything i said before around the person and the human being involved kind of goes out the window because it's you know can you create fully automated systems that self-control themselves to optimize the building we're nowhere near that yet and i think there's a danger i mean there are certainly some products out there that are starting to do that and i think within kind of micro ecosystems that can happen so, you know, within the HVAC systems or within the BMS systems, yeah. are there some calibrations that can kind of also happen to, to, to optimize that, you know, within the constraints of that, of those parameters? But I think to start thinking about kind of building a living ecosystem, you know, auto -calib calibrate itself, I, I would say no. And the reason being, to your point, A, there's not enough data, but also there's no precedent of really understanding what do we want that optimized space to be? Um, and I think if you, you know, code that the wrong way to say, you know, optimized is to reduce all the energy, well, then that shuts down all the air filters and then you don't get any clean air. You know, you, you, you said, you know, you create an unintended consequence. So I think a lot more learning is needed to understand. And that comes back to data because, you know, what data do we need to inform that decision? And for us to be get smarter about, okay, how do we run spaces? Um, and what do people actually want? And then being able to then plug the customer into that, which is where I do think apps and things like that have value, yeah. where you can then provide feedback and or in real time say, that's oh, a bit cold or it's a bit warm, or actually, you know, I like it like this, and having an, an element of sort of manual override. So we're nowhere near that yet, but I do think that's obviously a, a path that, you know, certain technologies are on and I think will give us, um, you know, in some, in some years, but I think, um, yeah, data is needed and, and, and I guess more intelligence around how we're actually going to use buildings and what optimized looks like. Um, yeah. Because I, I want an optimized building from a perspective of a tech person. Yeah, I, I think there will be a lot of automation in the future when we do have enough data, especially when you have enough data sets about, let's make it a, a Siemens or a Honeywell BMS or, you know, or a Schneider BMS. And, and you've, you know, and this is where almost you need to amalgamate the data from Metricus and all of our competitors. If you were going to do this properly and make it, you know, true machine learning, you would everyone would push their data out to another platform to say, this is how a Honeywell and a Siemens and a Schneider uh, BMS performs in this type of building so that you know what's going to happen. But there will always be a human element required because even if you can automate and you can shut a fan call unit down when you know let's just say it's supposed to supposed to the, the motor's supposed to spin at 50 rpm and it goes way above it goes to 70 or it drops way below a machine and machine learning can say there's a fault and it's with the fan call unit but you still need you know michael or charlotte or whoever it is the engineer to go and pull that motor out and go and put a new one in machine learning can help a hell of a lot but then it, it, it's never going to be able to it's not the silver bullet it's not going to it's not going to resolve yeah. everything but it, it will be a massive help over time because at the moment, generally, you only know when things are broken above the ceiling when it breaks and someone complains or, or the BMS. Yeah. So I think, I think you know, there, are some, there are some great tools. And, you know, you, you guys are in the space, right? There are some great tools that exist already now that can tell you an awful lot about a building and how to and how to optimize its usage with the existing kind of value chain and, and you know supply chain that you have. You just need to bring that data to bear and then align your FM or on-site guys and girls to actually do that. And that's part of the problem I see often is, and that's again back to one of the questions before around who innovates. We, too often we see, you know, investors, owners who typically would never have got involved in FM decision making suddenly partnering up with a tech provider because their VC has decided to invest in something. And then they come along and say, right, we've decided to invest in this smart buildings technology. Mr. FM, 
um, you know, company, can you please now use it? Uh, well, we use a completely different system. Yeah, and that's just, you know, that just creates problems. So again, yeah. collaboration. Yeah. <laughs> Comes back to the point of our collaboration. We, I, I do have a hard stop at five o'clock. This has been fantastic. I want to cover <laughs> up two more questions before we go because people have been asking and we've got another, we've got another couple. So we've got, we've got two and a half minutes for each question, uh, Alex. So <laughs> number, number one, Richard <laughs> Sansom says, what, what's well, the... Richard, yeah, <laughs> we've given it one more. Then, then I've got one question I do need to ask at the end. So lo low-hanging fruit. Okay. Yeah, um, I mean there are so many. I think you know we probably covered off what data have you got. It'll show you where your low-hanging fruit are, um, and you can and you can find. All you do is if you plot your um, energy consumption of the building, including all your tenants, on a half-hourly profile over a day, you will immediately see. I guarantee massive opportunities to make significant savings. I appreciate that it's just energy, but I yeah. think you know, you know that, that is certainly a low-hanging fruit. And I think in the in the guise of, and in the world that we now live in, where everyone's setting net zero carbon targets, you're going to need to know that. And I think the sooner you can start to shave off those inefficiencies, the quicker we get to the meaty stuff to achieve net zero. Yeah, and and I think that another one before we jump onto the last question. We're yet to go into a building where we do a BMS review where we haven't saved 10 plus percent on energy savings. You know, a BMS generally is put in, unless you are a Mark Tyson, a BMS is put in and it's not really changed. You know, the building might change internally, but the settings generally aren't changed. So a BMS review can save you 10 percent on energy pretty much overnight. Right. Yeah. So that, that's a that's a good one for low hanging fruit. That's your that's your E yeah. right, right there. So the, 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 the last thing is. Sorry, the point is you shouldn't have to do a BMS review every year. No, you shouldn't. You should be automated, pushing the data out so that, you know, the person sat at the dashboard goes, oh, it's tweaked. I need to change yeah. something. Yeah. But, yeah. So the, la the last one uh, before we go, uh, thoughts on local law 97 and how uh, it will impact prop tech and real estate. So this is a New York law, right? So this is, I I've been doing some research on this since we got this question in, is and this is this is obviously not for the UK, but it's it's a big one, right? There's fifty thousand buildings in in New York, and twenty three or twenty four thousand of those are commercial buildings that need to do something about this because the fines are huge. It's by twenty twenty four, twenty five, yeah, twenty twenty four. First report in twenty twenty five, but you know it's it's a big deal, and it's going to cost a lot of money if companies don't do it. So, what what are your thoughts and how PropTech will? Uh, well, I think, you know, we, we covered off the probably the regulatory side of it earlier when when Richard asked the question about levies because I've wrapped in you know this is a for those that don't know the law is a sort of carbon cap um, for buildings so I think we've you know we we probably touched on the, the regulatory side of it what does it mean for tech well it means playground right <laughs> there's <laughs> you know, there's going to be an awful lot of customers needing solutions to meet to meet yeah. those demands so uh, you know do we need a regulation to have created that no I think that marketplace exists probably in pockets I mean London New York etc. I mean, for you know, I know we've only a couple of minutes left, but we did some research a couple of years ago, which showed that the number of companies that have signed up to science-based targets, which are effectively our kind of quantifiable targets of energy consumption, and many of those setting net zero target, um, net zero carbon targets, occupied, and I think I'm right in saying around 12 million square feet in London. Yep. Um, of that. And again, don't quote me on these numbers. I can say the report afterwards is around, around about seven million square foot is up for renewal, lease renewal this decade. So seven million square foot of companies who have science-based targets and have and want to achieve net zero are going to be looking for new office space. Yeah. Are there seven million square feet of new zero carbon buildings on the market? No, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> there, there's your market. There's your catalyst for your market. Um, and I don't think you need the regulation to drive that. So. Back to my before, good regulation, fine, but I think the market will, will create that driver. So I think the impetus of the driver is already there. And certainly if you're in clean tech, clean prop tech, it's a good decade. It is. I think I think we're going to be busy for many years. So when, 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 as you said before, in five years' time, we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully do another one of these before then, but we'll, we'll have a good conversation in five years. So that would be great. Uh, I, I do have to jump to another meeting. I wish I didn't, but I do. Thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, my and pleasure. For time. Uh, next for the next one, just so you can you can watch as well. We've got Cindy Hemerson, uh, the CEO of FM Innovators. So she started a company to to help uh, customers uh, and and bring kind of tech together and 
try and help people and guide them through the process. So uh, I'm speaking with her next, but Alex... I will listen to that because that's interesting. That sounds interesting. Okay. Yeah, so she's a lovely lady. I look forward to speaking to her. She's uh, she's in Spain, uh, so enjoying probably better, slightly better weather than us, but in the UK, it's quite good today. I'm, I'm quite happy. So, But Alex, thanks very much for your time, mate. Thanks for the team. Thank you. Cheers, mate. Bye-bye.